if they have the sense that you respect them and appreciate their intelligence and their desire for a good life, that gives them the freedom to from the inside, not from the outside, but from the inside, make choices that support their lives. And I remember as my stepdaughter, I'm so tired, I'm so tired. Oh, what time did you go to sleep last night? I think it was about one o'clock, I'm so tired. Oh, wow. So you're really tired, huh? Yeah, I'm really tired. Well, I wonder, what time do you think you want to go to bed tonight? And I'm hoping for 10. She said eight. <laughs> and she went to bed at eight. So Interesting. let them choose. Hmm. And if they don't choose, then you talk about your worries and your emotions and what needs are up for them. Not punishment, not you know, criticizing, those things are so destructive to children's psyches. This episode is brought to you by the Blissful Parenting Toolbox. If you're looking for better ways to communicate with your child, deal with challenging behavior, or just improve your parenting skills, our free Parenting Toolbox contains the best resources from our expert workshops, as well as contributions from our podcast guests. These tools could be the missing link that you've been looking for to solve everyday parenting challenges and to access highly effective ways to communicate with your child without triggering conflict, arguments, or meltdowns. The best part is that these resources, tools, and templates are completely free and are a gift to you for being a valued member of our community and subscriber to our show. To get free instant access to the Blissful Parenting Toolbox today by visiting www.blissfulparenting.com forward slash toolbox. That address again, www.blissfulparenting.com forward slash toolbox. Register today and we'll see you on the inside. Hello, hello, Blissful Parents, Michelle Abraham, your host here today. I am so excited to bring you an interview today by someone I've just recently met and grown very fond of by learning all about him. Let me introduce you to Haypan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And I'm so excited and honored and humbled that you are helping me help people with the experience I've had with parenting. I love it. Yes. And you know, it's funny. This We met several times before I realized that this was what you're all about. And I was so excited to find it out because I'm like, Blissful Parenting is a great platform for us to chat about what you're all about. So guys, let me tell you a little bit more about Pan Vera. Pan was born a Hayoka empath, which I let him tell us a little bit more of what that means. <laughs> a little while because I was asking him before we press record. It's very interesting. He is a PSNCC certified nonviolent communication. Pan's been over 400 hours in training with Marshall Rosenberg. He was an IT coordinator of the Center for Nonviolent Communication for 10 years, supporting the worldwide NBC network. His training is under the brand Life Serving. He was an L and, and, and this is what's so great about this because he can definitely relate to us parents because he was an elementary school teacher, a parent of two kids and a foster parent to 13 kids and a stepfather. So I bet you have seen it all when it comes to <laughs> raising kids and big families and all the fun that comes with it. And so Pan, thank you so much for joining us today. We're glad you're here. Thank you. 
Yeah, so great to be here. So I really want to dive in today. We thought bringing up the topic of moving the protective fence around our children as they grow and evolve. So that means kind of like expanding that fence when they get older, as they grow, instead of keeping that, like, what is it? We call it now helicopter parenting. (laughs) You know, we use stuff like a few steps back from the playground, not on top of the slide (laughs) (laughs) as they get into grade six and grade seven, right? (laughs) So all sorts of things that we can do. So why should we dive into this topic? Why is this important, Pen, do you think? Well, what I learned actually from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, I was very involved in transcendental meditation. He's the one who came up with this image of when the child is born, think of it as a tiny little seed of a tree coming out, and you want to put a fence around it to protect it and to keep it from harming itself. But the child is going to grow. So it's really important that that fence be slightly outside their comfort zone. Mm. So not too much because kids don't do well when they are given freedoms that they're not prepared for, but they do really poorly when they're forced to pretend like they're four years old when they're seven years old. So I put that into effect with my children and it was phenomenally successful. They became independent and autonomous and self-confident because they were allowed to make mistakes while they were in the home and we can support them. And uh, I'm particularly proud of my son who is a Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force. He's got his PhD, he's teaching at at an Air Force University. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, it just really works for kids to have the freedom to be kids Mm -hmm. with the opportunity to learn. Oh my gosh, yeah. It sounds like that's what we're trying to do here is raise those resilient, confident kids that can go on to be really amazing adults. And so I love the analogy. I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking of like, you know, a tree with a bird's nest in it and that bird's nest, all of a sudden the birds that grow the nest and they fall out and they have to learn to fly. <laughs> I was kind of thinking of that kind of analogy as well. It kind of seems like what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. I have a little story about that. When my son was about two and a half or three, uh, we lived in the country and it froze, the ground froze. And we went out to look at, at the frozen ground and he wanted to go out and play in the yard. And he didn't want to put on his shoes. He didn't like wearing shoes. So we warned him that it was going to be cold. He says, it's going to be okay. And he goes out and he's running around the yard with a big smile on his face until suddenly he stops and freezes, literally. (laughs) And he notices his feet are really cold. So he comes running inside and he learned from his own experience how to take care of himself, which is much more profound in my experience than being told what to do because I said so. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I can imagine him stopping there and realizing his poor little feet are frozen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a great, a great example of that. And so how do us parents kind of navigate that, you know, I feel like I've, the word careful comes in my vocabulary far too often, and it's really hard to stop uh, myself from saying those words. And so I think that kind of falls along the same kind of, (laughs) same kind of lines as what we're talking about here. So how do us as parents kind of navigate what is safe, what's not safe, and like how we can then, you know, embrace that kind of fence that we're trying to move out of their comfort zone just a little bit? Great question, Michelle, because that's the key. What I have found works really well is to, like, 
I didn't have MDC when my <laughs> when my son was that age, but if I did, I would have said something like, "Yes, I know how much fun you have when you're barefoot and you can feel the ground and the grass on your feet and how wonderful that is." But I'm a little worried because this ground you're going to find is so cold, it can damage the skin on your feet, and I would be so sad if you couldn't go outside and play because your feet were all blistered. So would you consider what it would be like if you put your shoes on for this experience? And then if the kid says, I don't care about that, I'm going to be fine. That's when I would say, all right, and let them do it mm -hmm. because they will learn <laughs> right away that what you're doing is for their benefit and not to meet the satisfaction of the parent. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I like that. It sounds like it's, you know, it sounds really like at the end of the day, we're talking to the kids like, like they're not adults, but like sounds like that they're of equal, you know, value and like they're not, you're not belittling them by what you're saying, right? That is so true. Yeah. One of the things that my teacher Marshall Rosenberg would say is that the terms parent and child are violent. By which he meant to say that if we don't respect someone because they have the label of a child, we are not supporting that child. And we can trust children to learn. So that's kind of what's going on there. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to say something else. <laughs> so if we replace, I'm doing this because I know better than you with, right. mm -hmm. I'm worried about this because I care about that and we have a need for, then the children get it. They actually, the people who learn nonviolent communication, the fastest and the best are five years old. Wow. And for maybe some of our parents that don't actually know what nonviolent communication is, can you just share a little bit about like where it came from, what the background is and like how you were, how you were working in the center for nonviolent communication for over 10 years supporting the network? What, that is, what does that look like? Well, when I met Dr. Marshall Rosenberg in 2001, I actually had a plan to go to the Arboretum in Seattle, where he was going to be speaking, and to make sure that uh, my friend Patty, who was, asked me to come three or four years in a row, and I always said I would, and I never did, in five minutes, I knew he had the best tool for peace I had ever seen, coming from a military family, being in Europe when the missiles went up for the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, it was really, really important to me. And then about five minutes later, I realized that the way that I spoke did not represent my spiritual beliefs at all. So what he, who had been an extremely successful psychologist in Chicago, had discovered was that there's no such thing as mental illness. And what he meant by that was that when people came to him, he sent them to a doctor he trusted. They did a blood draw. And they looked to see if there were any biological signs that would create what we call mental illness. And if they had them, that was a biological illness, not a mental illness. But the people who were coming to them were talking to themselves with this really destructive self-talk that they probably learned from their parents. I'm not good. I'm not worthy. People don't like me. All this kind of stuff. And if he could get them to do four simple things. I'm going to say that they're simple to understand and they're difficult to do because first we have to stop doing what we've been doing since we went to school. Judging, analyzing, criticizing, diagnosing, rewarding, and punishment. All of these 
communication styles that we've been using for over 8,000 years create disconnection. So he replaces that with four simple steps. The first one is to make an observation. Now, J. Krishnamurti, the Varian philosopher in the early 1900s, said that the greatest sign of human intelligence is the ability to make an observation without a judgment. Mm -hmm. So I found that if I would just make an observation instead of a judgment, I instantly felt better. Because what was triggering me was what I thought about what happened, oh. not what happened. Interesting. The next step, and this was a challenge for me because my father told me that emotions were the leftover of our evolutionary past. And soon, relatively speaking, in evolutionary terms, we wouldn't have them anymore and everything would be better. <laughs> so consequently, I was always whipped around by my emotions because I refused <laughs> to recognize them. But the thing about our emotions is they're universal. Every single human being has the same emotional vocabulary. I don't mean to say vocabulary in terms of words, but the experience. They did a survey with smiley faces in all kinds of countries, all kinds of languages, all different socioeconomic backgrounds. And we all know what sad or mad or glad feels like. So if I say I'm feeling, not you made me feel, because people can't make us do anything, but I'm feeling one of these emotions, the other person knows what that emotion is like. Mm. If I spend a lot of time saying, you said this, and then I said that, and therefore, blah, blah, blah. No, not much agreement's going to happen at all. But emotions, it's universal. And then we connect the emotion to what it is we value about life. The common term that we use here is needs, but that's a troublesome word, but can't find one that's better. Mm -hmm. But I need things, not just what Maslow was talking about, food, shelter, and all of that, but I need to be heard. I need to be seen. I need respect. I need understanding. These really beautiful things that when we have them filled, we feel great. And when not, our emotions stand up and say, pay attention, pay attention. Things are not going right. Which can result in some a behavior that we might mistaken for other things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. And once again, these needs are universal. Everyone, and I think every form of life, experiences many of these same needs and humans, you know, all of them. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want you to think that everyone always feels related to a specific need all the time in the same way. But some people, you know, have needs that are satisfied and then there's a need that's not satisfied. So that's where the differentiation comes. But the need itself is universal, just like the emotion. And then the final part, (laughs) I'm laughing because when I first started learning this, not from Marshall, but from the local trainers, we'd have these trainings and they would run out of time before we got to request, which is a shame because requests are what creates the change. Mm-hmm. And request and NVC are not about getting what you want. That will be a byproduct. Mm-hmm. But the request is about this is how I am. How are you? Mm-hmm. And it might sound like, how would it be with you if you created or did some specific action? And we bounce back and forth like traveling on a Mobius strip. 
right. until everyone is really clear about the best strategy to move forward. That's mm. MDC. Awesome. Well, that makes sense. And can you give us an example? Like, say we're trying to get um, our, you know, our son or daughter to help us with loading the dishwasher. How would that look in the way you just explained? Okay. So, honey, um, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with all the things I have to do today. And I'm needing some support and some help. So would you do me a favor and unload the dishwasher? So I was over at a friend's house and uh, I was going to cook a meal for her family. And as soon as I got started, I said, hey, girls, would you do me a favor and help me out? And they brightened up and they came bouncing in as eager as pie. Mm -hmm. And I gave them a little task to do. And this mother took me aside. How did you get them to do that? I have to fight with them to do that. Well, I gave them a choice and I made it clear that I needed some support. You know, the thing about NVC is it's so simple. Interesting. It's yeah. So instead of it being like, I need you to help the dishwasher because it's your job, your responsibility this week. It's like, can you help us out? We've got lots going on. We need the support, yeah. the teamwork, you know, something yeah. like that. Like, okay, interesting. So Michelle, the magic of NBC is that the greatest joy that human beings experience is contributing to other people. Now here comes the important part when it's their choice. Right. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, this is not really like a standard form of like things that we teach kids in school or like at home or why your parents not like taught this? Cause I think this would be so helpful right from the beginning. right? Well, that's why I've dedicated myself to spreading Marshall's work. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I can imagine that was very helpful when you had 13 foster kids and your own two kids and being a stepfather all at the same time. Yeah. So the foster kids came to me because my wife, was a social worker and she was in child protective services mm. and she frequently couldn't find places to put children right. when she rescued them from really abusive situations. Yeah. And uh, I just loved it because. Yeah. Um, How great to be able to be that support yeah. when they can have the, you can help get someone out of that situation. And oh my gosh, how rewarding. Mm -hmm. Another thing that really helped me with all of that is I was an elementary school teacher at an alternative school mm. that followed the teachings of, a, of a, a gentleman called Piaget, who had studied the maturation of consciousness in children. Mm -hmm. And they do not evolve or come into consciousness on clockwork. You know, mm -hmm. like if you plant 10 seeds, they're probably going to grow pretty much the same. No, not so with kids. So what we did is that the school was filled with toys and games that are all learning things. And I'd had the group that year after year, that age group, it was all about dinosaurs. <laughs> so we talked about dinosaurs to do math, social studies, geography, mm -hmm. and the kids didn't think they were learning something that was meaningless to them. Right. This was what their passion was because kids are automatic learning machines. Mm -hmm. And if you want to break the machine, force them to sit down in a chair and fill out forms. Right. <laughs> but let them fly on their own. And mm -hmm. oh God, it was just amazing. That's so great. I love that. And I was at a parent teacher conference in my daughter's school yesterday. It was so fascinating because her teacher is just amazing. And 
instead of it being like the teacher saying, okay, your daughter is doing great at reading or writing. She's in grade one. The teacher uh, had a checklist that my daughter was in charge of. And the teacher wasn't even, she was around the room, but there was other parents and other families. And so my daughter had my husband and I follow her around the classroom and she checked off showing us each thing in the classroom and how she used it, how we play the math game and how it was so great because she was like totally the boss and in charge of showing us everything. And like, it was really great to see how excited she was and how she picked out certain things based on her interests within that subject like there was all these different um, boxes for counting but it was like you could count the screws in the and the um, bolts or you could count the dinosaurs or you could count the cars or you could count the money so it was like whatever was interesting to them to do the math it was uh, it was so awesome to see I was so glad I mean I was since COVID we haven't been able to be in the classroom for the last two years so this was our first chance to be in there and kind of see what's going on and it was really cool. That's awesome. I'm so yeah. glad to hear that. Right. It's so great to see teachers that can really play to the kids' interests too and like, you know, get the curriculum done, but like sounds, seems yeah. like such a great experience for the kids. One thing I heard you say a little while ago was um, the kids that are, you know, coming up and saying like, you know, uh, nobody likes me, you know, I should just go kill myself or I, you know, shouldn't be here or you know, things that that's really self-deprivating vocabulary. I've heard that from a lot of parents lately. They've been hearing that from kids. What should be a couple of first steps for parents who are hearing these kind of things coming from their kids when it's, and it seems kind of surprising. Thank you for that question. You're asking the best questions. (laughs) I love it. Especially when kids get into puberty, they are going to have a literally their brain reorganizes itself. Functions that are in one part of the brain move to another parts of the brain that have been silent, become active. And it's a tumultuous time for a child. And what I've discovered is that if you sit down and listen to the child and don't say, oh no, honey, don't think that. Don't say, no, don't you say that. No, just, oh, it sounds really painful. Sounds like you might be really lonely. Are you feeling very confused and unsure of yourself? Just listen to them and let them talk to you and resist the fix-it energy. And of tell, course, that's what's first what our parents' apparent brain wants to go to, like, oh, no, how do we fix this? <laughs> yeah. So if you let them talk to you, they're actually talking to themselves. Mm-hmm. And very often they will figure out what's best for them. And then if you're not completely satisfied with it, that's where you could come and say, yeah, I can understand how you feel that way, but I'm a little worried. I'm worried about your safety or my safety or or what's going on and use that formula with them. Safety, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, Yeah, they will almost always make a choice (laughs) that's more restrictive than the ones I was thinking of imposing. (laughs) Right, interesting. You know, it's funny, it seems like like the basis of the nonviolent communication is really like leading kids to make their own decisions or come to their own conclusions about things and not what we think is best for them. Is that really, that's really what the basis of it is? Yes, because, you know, kids aren't always going to make the best choice. But if they have the sense that you respect them and appreciate their intelligence and their desire for a good life, that gives them the freedom to, from the inside, 
not from the outside, but from the inside, make choices that support their lives. And I remember, oh, this is my stepdaughter. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Oh, what time did you go to sleep last night? I think it was about one o'clock. I'm so tired. Oh, wow. So you're really tired, huh? Yeah, I'm really tired. Well, I wonder, what time do you think you want to go to bed tonight? And I'm hoping for 10. She said eight. <laughs> and she went to bed at eight. So Interesting. let them choose. Hmm. And if they don't choose, then you talk about your worries and your emotions and what needs are up for them. Not punishment not you know criticizing those things are so destructive to children's psyches yeah and, it and adults like, too right <laughs> yeah well I, or triggering to adults who haven't dealt with their own childhood traumas right <laughs> yeah yeah so it seems like those things are really uh the non-violent communication really helps kids kind of play to their own needs and really figure out what their needs are and making sure that their needs are met in their own terms which yeah. then I'm sure relates to, oh my gosh, much better kind of behavior or, you know, communication, just a better sense of self-worth and confidence for them and just overall better being. So it's amazing. Can you give us some examples or any stories that you have of, you know, you've seen kids kind of just transform in that way? Well, what came up in my, my mind when you were asking that question, uh, I have a, in VC you know, you learn how to do it, but you need to practice. So we have practice groups. And this mother has a eight-year-old son. Mm -hmm. And when it's his turn to give empathy to the other people in the group, he's talking about feelings and needs because he grew up that way. He had that point of view about life mm -hmm. that not only supports him, but supports other people. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of another story there it's interesting because i may think kids are naturally like self-absorbed right and so if, if they're not used to tapping into their own needs and their own self and they're I've been in i think in a situation where they've been told what to do and told how to act yeah. and you know yeah. kept in that restrictive box then they are more self-absorbed so that's really interesting to see uh, to hear from like a parent like an, of an eight-year-old who's been growing up that way and what then comes is mirrored back into the world when mm -hmm. he's been mirrored that as a child i think that's yeah. oh my gosh how how amazing and how much change in the world would you see if that was just <sighs> so like <laughs> prevalent <Yeah>. everywhere <laughs> yeah it would be awesome you know um michelle i mentioned uh piaget mm -hmm. and what he's he, he was a psychologist and then he had two kids kind of close at a time and he gave up his practice so he could stay home and study the development of his children <laughs> stay home and study his kids that's awesome <laughs> yeah and he discovered that you know not every child goes through the same cycle but there are times in a child's development when they're very self-absorbed and they're don't want anybody to touch their toys mm -hmm. and parents say oh no you have to share oh i don't want to share <laughs> no don't say that just the child is being who the child is yeah and it's not going to be forever. Then they will get to the point where they just love sharing their toys with people. <laughs> it, because of the development of their, of their biological functioning. Right. So do parents need to really be aware of like what is developmentally appropriate for what age group so that they can support that? Because I know that's like the first thing parents say, no, you have to share with so-and-so. <laughs> you know, that yeah. you have to share. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I think that you have to is a word that every parent wants to expunge, not only from the vocabulary, but from their consciousness. Right. It's almost like when you say it to yourself, you're, I should do this. I should do that. You're shitting on yourself while you're having to on your kids. It's almost like the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And autonomy is like the most important need that people have. And so if we're stepping on their autonomy, we're stepping on their psyche and we're stepping on their ability to develop as functioning and happy adults. And so if we give, oh, sorry, I was just going to say for those listeners that maybe don't know what autonomy is, can you just explain that in a little bit? Okay. Mm -hmm. So the best way to look at it is that with our uh, communication styles that I was talking about earlier, we're focusing externally. We're behaving because we've been told to. We're behaving because we're going to get an award reward for it. Reacting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you're focusing on your feelings and needs, Mm -hmm. then it's an internal motivation. And that's what builds autonomy functionality, the ability to be present to other people when the time comes in their development. Yeah. And that's like the, really the confidence and the resilience that we're looking for in those kids. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So for our parents, maybe that are listening today that are struggling right now Uh (laughs) and then there's a lot of parents out there, especially right now struggling. What's some words of wisdom that you want to leave us with today? Okay. The main thing is There is no such thing as a good parent. Mm -hmm. There's no manual because each child is different. No child escapes childhood undamaged. So don't worry about it. Just be present to your child. Be respectful of them. Ask them to be respectful of you and others. And trust (laughs) the ability of your homo sapiens to survive on this planet and maybe trust your instincts that way you're you're doing the best you can with the tools you have (laughs) right yeah right and know you're going to make mistakes Mm -hmm. don't beat yourself up about them just connect with what need you were trying to meet when you did something that didn't work out the way you want and discover a way to get what you want that isn't coercive or disrespectful to the child. Yeah. And I think the one thing that I really pulled out for me was like making it their choice to help you like with doing the dishes or cleaning their room, making it their choice to, to participate. And yeah, that was a good one. The greatest mental health issue for especially pubescent children is their uselessness. Mm. Human beings want to contribute and they want to be useful and they want to feel a sense of contribution. Right. So even if you might be able to do the job faster, easier, and better, Mm -hmm. give them the opportunity to feel a sense of contribution by doing it the best they can. And then after they go to bed, come back and clean up the mess. (laughs) Right. Oh, that's great. I love it. Wow, Pam, this has been so fascinating. Where can our parents reach out to you if they have questions, if they want to work with you or find out what's coming up for you. And if this is like really piqued their interest in nonviolent communication, they want to learn more. Share with us where we can connect with you. Well, Michelle, when you asked me to come on and talk about this or give me the opportunity to do it, I thought I would just write a few notes. And so far, my few notes are about five pages long. So I've decided that I'm going to create a course using nonviolent communication, raising children. Mm-hmm. And my request to people who are looking to uh, take advantage of these skills 
-hmm. is to send me an email and say that you're interested in learning about that. And here's the email address. It's Pan Vera, my name Pan, last name Vera, and that's V as in victory, V-R-A. And by the way, it's P-A-N, not P-A-M, <laughs> which I get a lot, at lifeserving.com. Perfect. And we'll put the link in the show notes as well for all of our parents who want to see it visually as well. So that make sure that I can reach out to you. So they're going to email you and then you'll yep. respond back when the course is ready or when you're ready to. Exactly. And I may even reach out to them to interview them so I can get some of their wisdom from their experience as parents, because in spite of the fact of all the experience I have with children, uh, nobody is an expert on raising children, in my opinion. Right. Parents can use all the support that we can get, which is why I love hosting this podcast, because I feel like I get so much great knowledge from all our amazing experts like yourself that we bring on here. So Pam, thank you so, so much for being with us today. I learned a lot. This was really insightful for me, and I'm sure it touched the hearts of a lot of our parents out there. So Blissful Parents, go out there, have a fabulous week. Make sure you connect with Pam and you can too uh, help kind of change some of that unwanted behavior into something that's so beneficial for our kids and us as parents too. So thanks again, Pan. You were awesome. Oh, thank you, Michelle. You were awesome too. Uh, your questions were just so helpful. Welcome. All right, Blissful Parents. See you again next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by the Blissful Parenting Toolbox. If you're looking for better ways to communicate with your child, deal with challenging behavior, or just improve your parenting skills, our free Parenting Toolbox contains the best resources from our expert workshops as well as contributions from our podcast guests. These tools could be the missing link that you've been looking for to solve everyday parenting challenges and to access highly effective ways to communicate with your child without triggering conflict, arguments, or meltdowns. The best part is that these resources, tools, and templates are completely free and are a gift to you for being a valued member of our community and subscriber to our show. To get free instant access to the Blissful Parenting Toolbox today by visiting www.blissfulparenting.com forward slash toolbox. That address again, www.blissfulparenting.com forward slash toolbox. Register today and we'll see you on the inside.